I am, I'm so glad to be back. I don't live nearby anymore uh, most of the time. I'm in Connecticut about four or five days a month. Um, And the rest of the time I'm in Nashville or traveling. But I always look forward to being here. You know, I think one of the signs of a of a healthy church, maybe two, is uh, laughter. And then the second one is uh, a warming, gentling spirit of hospitality. Where you feel like there are just so many doors into the life of the community. And that there's room at the table for everyone. And I always feel that when I'm here. And I hope you do as well. And that you value that quality, that texture to your lives together. It's, uh, it's a great gift, really. I want to invite you uh, on a journey back in time with me. It's December 21st. It's the fourth Sunday in Advent in 2003. I am the senior pastor of Trinity Church in Greenwich, Connecticut. And after leading worship and preaching that morning, I sped away from church for yet another shopping expedition to downtown Greenwich, probably my 30th in about 20 days. I had a three-hour window to go Christmas shopping for one present. I think it was a Super Mario video game for my young son who desperately wanted it. And uh, it was the Christmas gift that year that every kid wanted. You know, and nobody had. So I was going downtown, you know, with a prayer that maybe I could locate uh, one of these things. Now, four days before Christmas, the shopping district of Greenwich, Connecticut, turns into the set of the movie Black Hawk Down. (laughs) I mean, it's a kill or be killed proposition. I battled for parking spaces with over-caffeinated women in giant SUVs (laughs) that came with an optional package for a 50 caliber machine gun on the top of it, on the roof. I stood in checkout lines longer than the Great Wall of China. And I found the last existing copy of a Super Mario video game at KB Toys. I saw it at the end of a long aisle (laughs) in a big display, and I took off for it. And I'm running down this thing, right? And just as I get to it, like in suspended animation, like in the Matrix, you know, I go like this in midair to grab it. And like this 70-year-old dude hip checks me, grabs the video and runs off cackling, you know. And I'm like, desolate. I am desolate. I am ruined. No one else had that stupid game. Well, I was done with shopping for the day after all that. So um, I jumped in my car to race back to MC the Christmas pageant at our, uh, at our church. I was late. 
And en route, I stop at a red light near our home in this sort of quaint little village of uh, Old Greenwich. And one nanosecond, here I am at this red light, one nanosecond after it turns from red to green, the guy in the car behind me lays on his horn. I don't mean beep, beep. That's not what I mean. I mean, So I look in the rearview mirror of my car, and I see a perfect-looking, blonde, 20-something guy in a BMW 7 Series with a beautiful, perfect-looking, blonde girl in the seat next to him holding a perfect-looking Bichon (laughs) in her lap. It's hard to explain what happened next. Maybe it was the video debacle. Maybe I'd heard one too many Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers through those cheap CBS speakers that are really screechy. Maybe I'd fought one too many cage matches with an angry shopper or attended too many Christmas parties where I was bored to death. Or perhaps it was the feeling of shame that I had spent more money on gifts than Congress does on entitlements. But something in me snapped. I put my Subaru out back with the I Love Jesus sticker on the back (laughs) into park. I took off my seatbelt. I opened my door, got out. And I charged the car behind me. Red-faced, I'm talking big purple veins sticking out of my face. I get up to the driver window. I am spitting like spray is coming onto his windshield. And this is what I'm saying. Merry Christmas, you entitled idiot. Do you want a piece of this? Do you? And I'm thinking as this is happening, like a third-person observer, you know, where did I learn these words? You know, I sounded like Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. You know what I mean? Like I'm... I'm out of my mind. And, and then I hear the voice of Jesus. And this is what he says. You are a local pastor. <laughs> you are supposed to be a church emceeing the story of the birth of the Prince of Peace. And instead, you're standing on a crowded street, inviting a man to get out of his car so you can kill him. (laughs) Is there anything wrong with this, Ian? Well, I was brought to my senses, and I I muttered other things en route back to my car, and I I went off to church. (laughs) And I stood surrounded by 35-year-olds in lamb costumes, you know, and... I told the story of Jesus' birth as though nothing had happened, as though I hadn't just nearly committed homicide in the middle of, of Greenwich. Now, I, I realize this is an extreme example of how a human being can snap at Christmas, can, can kind of break somewhere deep in their psyche uh, the holiday season. But I don't think y- you, you can't identify with some of the feelings 
that were coursing through my body at that moment. At least I hope you can. It's so ironic, but we're often more impatient, more rushed, more frenzied, more out of our minds at Christmas than just at about any other time of the year. And that's why Renaissance is making an Advent journey through a series of messages right now titled Christmas Simple. And the purpose is to consider what we can do to recover the restful simplicity that should be associated with Christmas. Where God appeared as nothing but a child and invaded our lives and human history that we might not only experience the love of God, but be invited to participate in the reconciliation and restoration of the world. I mean, how has it become what it is, we ask? We want to consider how to recalibrate our religious sensibilities in a world that has made Christmas maddeningly complex and get it back perhaps into focus as something more basic and beautiful and elegant in its simplicity. I want to speak about a few spiritual practices today that can stave off the frenzied spirit that can creep into our lives at Christmas and rob our attention away from the things that really matter. And more importantly, I I want to speak to you out of my own experience. I want to talk to you about how I've personally uh, experienced how these disciplines, if I can use that word, can create the natural climate in which we can taste the love of God in a new way. So let's, let's just jump right into this, okay? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us a command. He says to us, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, some of us have an easier time with the first half of that command than we do with the second half. If you're a people pleaser like me, yes emerges from your mouth long before discernment has taken place in your mind. Do we, do we have people pleasers here? If you're a people pleaser, raise your hand. See, you're doing that just to make me happy. That's why you did that. You complied immediately. It's tragic. It's so true, though. The pathology runs so deep. If you're a people pleaser and you struggle to say no when people make demands on your time, the rest of the year. The struggle is twice as hard at Christmas. Saying no to somebody at Christmas when they need you to do something feels like you're kicking Jesus in the shins, right? It just doesn't feel right. It's Christmas time for crying out loud. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, you know, sign me up. Of course I'll help. How do you say no when your pal says to you, hey, Ian, would you mind this year sort of 
taking over the sale of Christmas trees for the church. It only requires 19 hours for three Saturdays in a row. Or how do you say no when your neighbor says, would you take over uh, making the costumes for the Christmas play this year at school or serve on the PTA after January 1st? What do you say when your mother-in-law calls and asks to extend her visit with you at Christmas by two weeks? How do you say no? That one's easier than most, I guess. You know what happens when you don't say no to people making demands on your time, especially at Christmas? Life gets very, very complicated, doesn't it? You look at your calendar one day, and you panic. You can hear the plates spinning, and then you start to hear them crashing around you. You start to feel overwhelmed. You start to feel angry at the people that... Keep asking you to do stuff. You resent them and then you're angry at yourself because you didn't have the gumption to say no. And the greatest tragedy of simply letting your no be no at Christmas is we end up with no space for God. (laughs) That will be point two. Thank you for the illustration. (laughs) We have no margins. Relationship with God requires a certain capaciousness in our souls where his largeness can reside. I love uh, Anne Lamott because she's more neurotic than I am. And uh, she wrote a book called Operating Instructions. And she's a people pleaser who used to say yes to everybody. And she tells a story about uh, turning 45. And uh, uh, this moment came when she was able to finally say no. Someone asked her to do something. And she looked at them, having decided in advance that she was going to change. And she said, I promised myself that this year I would take on less. And so I'm sorry, but the answer is no. And she felt that surge of ballooning power, you know. And the person, not used to this answer from Anne Lamott, tried to twist her arm. And so Anne Anne turned to her and she said, uh, no is a complete sentence. (laughs) So do you want a simpler Christmas, one that's a little less frenzied? Do do you want one that... uh, creates more space and margins for you to experience the simplicity of God's invading history to give himself to us. You want that spiritual practice, number one, say no without apology. Say no. Okay. I, um, I know this guy, uh, and, uh, his mentor was a, a person named Dallas Willard. Has anyone, has, anyone, has anyone ever read Dallas Willard's books? He was a philosopher at USC, head of the philosophy department at USC, and uh, something of a theologian. And, and uh, this friend of mine described to Willard the ridiculously fast pace of 
the environment uh, at his workplace and how his family lived in a minivan, essentially, racing from piano lessons to soccer games uh, and how the unsustainable speed of his life was damaging his soul. And he asked Willard, who's a very kind of quiet, dry fella, what he should do to get spiritually healthy. And so Dallas replied after a long pause, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So this friend of mine, <clears throat> who wasn't expecting that answer, you know, he said, well, well, what else should I do? And Willard gave a long pause. There's nothing else. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Scriptures tell us, you know, be still and, uh, and know that I am God. I don't have the spiritual gift of still. Still is not a gift that God has, uh, has bestowed upon me. And at Christmas time, it's like I've taken a double dose of Adderall. You know what I'm saying? Like I am on fly mode for about 30 days. It's like I believe that the time continuum will miraculously give me more time if I rush when it won't. I love what Adele Calhoun says about this. She says, we can get so busy doing urgent things and so preoccupied with what comes next that we don't experience now. In fact, you know what? I'm going to make a bet right now. Half of you aren't even here yet. I'm right, aren't I? You ran in from the car. You're thinking about a million other things right now. The last place you are is here. And that's how most of our lives are. We're just not in the moment. She says, afraid of being late, we rush from the past to the future. The present moment becomes a crack between what we did and what we have yet to do. The now is virtually lost to us. We don't get to our futures any faster if we hurry. Let me repeat that. We don't get to our futures any faster if we hurry. I was, uh, uh, we were in Connecticut for Thanksgiving. All my kids are away at school. And I have a son who goes uh, away to school at Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia. He's 14. I adore him. I miss him. But he loves boarding school so much, it's insulting to me. <laughs> yeah, I was really distracted this Thanksgiving, and I was kind of rushing around. I've got a bunch of projects going on. I spent too much time on my MacBook. You ever do that? And the kids are in the house, and the dog's in the house, and friends and boyfriends. And my mother was there, and, anyway, a, and they're having a great time playing Boggle, and I'm in another room on the Mac. And I took my son to JFK to get a flight back to, to a DCA. And he gave me a big hug. And I watched him head into the terminal. And I thought to myself, I wasn't even at Thanksgiving with him. I mean, I just wasn't there. And uh, I decided that at Christmas, I'm not bringing my MacBook home. 
to Connecticut. And uh, don't clap your hands. You're not doing it. (laughs) Do you know there's an actual spiritual practice meant to break our addiction to hurry? It's called slowing. No, I'm not kidding. It's called slowing. And Christmas is a really, really um, actually painful time to start it. (laughs) Slowing involves intentionally dialing back so that you can be in the moment. And here are some things you can do, okay? Between now and Christmas, drive in the slow lane. Come on now, do it for Jesus. You can do it. When you catch yourself speed walking like I do through airports, deliberately slow down. Walk slow. Stop often, and when you do, take three deep breaths and tell God one thing you're grateful for. Put a 15-minute buffer between meetings, and in that 15 minutes, close the door and close your eyes and just be still. Don't text to people when they're talking to you. That's wrong. I'm not going to say anything else about that one. Eat slow. I dare you. Linger at the table with your family. Linger. It's a great word, isn't it? Nobody does it anymore. And stop to notice the beautiful in your children, in their laughter, in creation. Take notice. Be astonished. And give thanks somehow. But be slow. So what do we have so far? Two practices. Say no. Move slow. I feel a mantra coming on. As part of my research for a new book, I've, uh, I've made arrangements to spend four weeks uh, in a silent monastery in Ireland. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I, I'm scared. I actually am scared about it. People tell me that I've done this sort of thing, that the first five days of silence is like detox without medical help. You see, silence um, is more than what happens when there is no noise. Real silence is suffused with a mysterious spiritual power. I've been doing a lot of research about this autonomous phenomenon, as it's referred to, called silence. In it, You know what happens is you begin to hear your life. In the silence, the reality of what's really happening in the precincts of your soul begins to percolate up and you may be surprised by grief or sadness. You may find that um, there are truths about yourself you'd rather not encounter. And that's maybe why most of us are noise addicts, aren't we? I mean, we got iPods on all the time. We got our iPhones to our, you know, TV. I got a speaker in my shower in Nashville. I got a music system speaker in my shower. I mean, that's pathetic. I mean, like I'm singing ZZ Top while I'm washing my hair. What is that? It's wrong. That's what that is. You don't even know who ZZ Top is, but... (laughs) But, you know, silence isn't only scary. It's also a time to rest in God 
to lean into him, to be restored. Silence is healing. Mother Teresa once said that God's first language is silence and everything else is a bad translation. In Mark, we're told that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place and he prayed. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? Do you want to have a simpler, less frenzied Christmas this year? Here's what I want you to do. Every day until Christmas, I want you to set aside five uninterrupted minutes. So you can do it. Five uninterrupted minutes, preferably in the morning. Find a place in your house that's kind of an inviting presence. I want you to light a candle. It's not spooky. It's okay. Just to represent the presence of Jesus in that space. And I want you, without any books to read, without anything else to do, sit in the chair, close your eyes, still your mind, and give God consent to do whatever he wants inside your heart, soul, and mind in that five minutes as you sit quietly and just my friend Richard Rohr, uh, he, um, I've done some retreats with him this year. And this is how he starts prayers. I think it's fantastic. He goes like this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be Five minutes. That's all. Five minutes in the silence. So, three things, three practices. We're done. Say no. Move slow. Now, I know it's puerile, but I want you to repeat that after me. You ready? Say no. Move slow. Shh. Say it again. <laughs> Say it again. I feel like James Brown. <laughs> Say no. Move slow. Shh. I want you to make each other ashamed when you say it to one another. You know what I'm saying? No, don't do that. And I don't just want you to do it at Christmas. I want it to be the pattern of your lives. Pray it is. Well, we're going to close right now, and I'm going to do something really kooky as we do. Um, I'm going to close with an exquisite piece of music. It's very, very, very brief. It's only maybe about two minutes. It's called the Ubi Caritas. And uh, I'm a big fan of of, uh, ancient choral music. And in the Latin... What they're singing about, the actual line is, where charity and love are, God is there. And for one minute, after the peace is over, I want you just to sit in stillness. God is never, for me, more audible than in the, in the second after a great piece of music finishes. In that silence. And then I'll send you out with a blessing, all right?
Can we do that? It's a little gift to you for Christmas. If you've got your legs crossed or your arms crossed, just unfold yourself, okay? Just disentangle for crying out loud. And uh, I want you to take three deep breaths. And as you do, I want you just to imagine that every breath is you gulping in the light and the love of Christ. Just breathe in. As you breathe out, I want you to imagine that it's that part of you that doesn't belong there <laughs> inside of you. And now let's make space for this piece of music and then be silent afterwards. Friends, Christ above you and Christ below you. Christ upon your right and Christ upon your left. Christ before you and Christ behind. Christ in your eyes. Christ upon your lips. Christ in your heart. Christ upon your feet. As you go forth from this place to say yes to that which calls for yes and no to that which calls for no. To be still, to be quiet, to be open to the child, making residence in your heart. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest on you this day and evermore. Amen.
Go in peace. Merry Christmas.